It's Monday, September 4th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast. What do you mean, Monday? We usually do the Tuesday and Fridays things. Yes, we usually do, but for the next four weeks, we're coming at you Monday to Friday, five episodes a week. Wakefield Session. It starts now with my first guest, Greg Paul Stone, singer-songwriter from the Gatineau Hill. Well, he's from Australia. We're going to get into all that, but... We get into his backstory. He plays a couple songs live in studio. You're going to love it. Wakefield Sessions. It all starts now. Sessions coming at you from Lemon Press Studios in the Gatineau Hills. Hey, oh man, how you doing? It's been a it's been a minute. Waste of time. Come on. What what is Wakefield Sessions and what are we doing on a Monday? Well, I'm going to tell you, Wakefield, I've talked about Wakefield before on the podcast. Wakefield is where I live now. That's right. We bought a house in the Gatineau Hills, overlooking the Gatineau River. It's a beautiful spot. And Wakefield is this special place where, actually, I, I did, so I've been doing these interviews. I'll tell you about it. I'm going to elaborate. You're going to get to know this. It's going to become your norm, Wakefield Sessions. I interviewed a guest and he said he, he he read somewhere they attribute the talent pool in Wakefield to the tectonic plates shifting or some shit. I don't know. But there's something magical that happens here in Wakefield on the Gatineau River and the Gatineau Hills. There's incredible talent, musicians, artists, restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, just wacky, fun, creative people. Weirdos, basically. A bunch of weirdos. And I love it, because I'm one of said weirdos. Waste of time living here now in the Gatineau Hills. And basically, Wakefield Sessions. So I decided to do this thing where, you know, I meet so many interesting people in Wakefields. I've been... Wakefields? No, Wakefield. Singular. I've been coming to Wakefield for the last six or seven years periodically and been meeting people throughout just super talented cool creative fun people and i always wanted to do this thing so what wakefield sessions is by the way remember to subscribe to the podcast jdcomedyhour.com email pod at jdcomedyhour.com follow on instagram and twitter at jdcomedyhour and follow or like the facebook page facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour okay let's get that out of the way but i always want to do this thing wakefield sessions where I interview people and get to introduce Wakefield to the world because people often hear that I moved to uh, 
to rural Quebec and they go, why? Well, this is my answer to that question. This is my way of showing you why. Why Wakefield? And you're going to get it. So for listeners that have been listening for a long time uh, to the podcast, first of all, thank you. Appreciate you always. But this is a, this is kind of like a... You get to peek into the portal that is Wakefield Life. And for Wakefielders, if we've got any first-time listeners to the show and uh, you kind of heard about it because of this thing happening and Wakefield's a small town and word travels and people, you know, I've been interviewing people, so they talk and word of mouth. And if you're Wakefielder listening to the f- this for the first time, welcome. And basically, it's going to give you a new perspective on the people that I interview because we go in-depth. These sort of, there's, there are more conversations we share. There's a little back and forth. It's not just question and answer. You'll learn a couple things about my guests. You'll learn a thing or two about myself. And we just get into it. So feel free to, uh, I don't know, feel free to what? Where was I going with that? Well, you can email pod at jdcomedyhour.com, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Okay. Wakefield. Wakefield Sessions. Here we are. By the way, I'm coming at you from a closet. It was a walk-in closet. I converted to an office. So if it's the sound is weird, I'm still trying to figure out the acoustics in here. So it could be a little maybe echoey or sound like I'm in a box. Because basically I am in uh, a box here. If you uh, go to Instagram.com slash JDComedyHour, you'll see the intro video to this uh, pod. And you'll see you know those bifolding pine... Uh, closet doors behind me because I'm literally, literally in a closet. So Wakefield, we moved here and uh, oh man, what a place. I mean, especially coming from Toronto because it's such a, I mean, there's a real sense of community here in Wakefield. And if you're from a small town, you get that, you understand that. It's kind of the fiber of the things that happen. But in big cities, that kind of gets lost. You know, everybody's building a brand. Everybody's building an, an empire. Which, by the way, how can everybody build an empire? You know, you're just going to have a world f- full of emperors. And, and, and how does that... That's that's not a functional society, right? But everybody in Toronto, everybody's just building an empire, which I guess maybe that's where you go because it's the best of everything. Every industry, the best of in Canada, that it just you end up on Bay Street or Bay Street in Toronto. I mean, whether that's a finance thing on Bay Street or acting or whatever. But then when you come to a smaller town, you get that sense of community. And at first, you're not you're not kind of used to it. People are so nice. And when you bring that Toronto attitude to it, that kind of mind frame, you don't know how to take it sometimes. You know, people show up. We've had uh, renovations done on uh, our house and whatnot. And people are so over the top nice right away. You think, what do they want? Wh- how is this guy fucking me? It's always that kind of moment where you go okay too nice what is he who does the murdering does he kill me do i kill him like do where do i bury the body (laughs) to any wakefield contractors that have done work on our house i don't want to murder you this is just just a just a uh hyperbole hyperbole am i using that word right i don't think i am actually Mm -mm mm-mm-mm Oh, it's delicious. And, um, I mean, again, that sense of community, it's kind of the, you get the opposite life, quality of life when you move to a place like Wakefield. I lived in Toronto 
And Toronto, you don't really stay home. You go, it's a drinking and eating town. So you don't really cook at home or do anything at home or entertain at home. You meet people at restaurants, you go out to bars, you go out to shows. So you're always out and drinking and eating. And this here in Wakefield, it's the opposite. We have this beautiful home now. And I just don't want to leave it anymore. I'm just home and love it. I'm a total recluse and uh, hermit. And, you know, I welcome it. Now I do everything here. And I just tell people, just come come visit. And neighbors, oh man, this is the thing about... One thing you do have to get used to is, in Toronto, you, you there's this anonymity. You just walk around, nobody knows who you are, or nobody gives a shit who you are. You just kind of walk around, you do your thing, you live your life. There's no judgment, no knowledge of anything that you're doing or anything. And then you come to a place like here and everybody knows everything. You go to a, 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 a convenience store and somebody asks where you live. And they don't mean like the general vicin, like, oh, I live in Wakefield. They'll go where? Well, um, across the river on here. Where? Well, on this street. Oh, which... Like, they want to know your exact house, and they know who lived in the house before you, and most of the time, they themselves have been there. It's this weird thing that happens. And in Toronto, and and you talk to your neighbors here, you talk to neighbors, there's a sense of community. In Toronto, I got in trouble for throwing a banana peel in my neighbor's garbage because it wasn't the mine. It was... And in both, in both places... You kind of don't want to be in a rush when you do anything. In Toronto, If you can't, you can't really be in a rush if you're on your way somewhere because of traffic. Because you'll get held up, either construction or someone's losing their mind in the street. And, and there's something that will hold you back. So if you go somewhere and if you're on a time crunch, it's almost always a recipe for disaster. And But that the same applies to Wakefield because that's a similarity. But for the complete opposite reasons. In Wakefield, if you try to go somewhere on a time budget and try to make it you're gonna first of all talk to half of the village which is good by the way it's great you stop you talk to people i'll give you an example i my mother-in-law bought a table on kijiji i want to pick it up in toronto you go pick up something there's very there are very few words exchanged let's say someone posts something on kijiji let's a computer desk you see the ad, you call them, agree on a price, you go over, there are barely any words exchanged, you pick up the thing, there's like no help involved, they watch you kind of take this thing from their place, and then you, you're you on your way. In Wakefield, I went to get a table from from somebody in the hood, and basically just a classic table, four chairs. 45 minutes later, I'm still... First of all, I walked in. It was super intimate. I walk in. The whole experience was intimate. I walk in and they're having dinner. In the middle of... You know, it's like... it's That was on me because it was like 6.18 p.m. And so they're having dinner. So I walk in. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. They're like, no problem. Come on in. And uh, they start chatting up with, you know, meatloaf in their mouths. And they're like talking. They're, and nobody stands up really. They're just like, oh, this is the thing. Have a look. I'm looking at this table. And they're sitting at their other table, the newly purchased one. And they're talking to me while they're having dinner. It's this couple with their two kids. And I feel like I'm encroaching. But no, no problem. That's all good in the hood. You're buying this table for $6. So we'll give you we'll give you our time. And so uh, I buy the table. 
and then it's time to move it to the to the car. And again, in Toronto, when it comes to putting something, you're on your own. Usually, they just watch you and just don't touch or nick any of the paint. If so, you'll hear from my lawyer. Here in Wakefield, they help you. So the gentleman, the fine gentleman, wake. He gets up. He he uh, carries the table, and he was out the door first. So we're kind of carrying this long table down these stairs. It was in Vinyl Village, by the way, for a local Wakefielders. You'll know. Vinyl Village. It's like this little condo condominium area, and uh, so we. It was uh, one of the top floor ones, and we come down the stairs with the table, and he gets out the door first, and so I'm second, but we're both in our socks. So I go, oh, so, or bare feet, whatever. So I go, I have to. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna throw up my uh, flip flops, and he goes, yeah. No, can you hand me my shoes? And I had to hand him his shoes, and that doesn't sound. It sounds fine, but it's a super intimate process when somebody's holding something else, like the end of another table. You can feel like they're forced through the the material. And then he's pointing out which pair of shoes he wants to wear. And he had just gotten home before having dinner and had been wearing these shoes all day. So there's still like some heat to them. So I had to put my, you know, my index and thumb in the shoes and it's in my middle finger and it's I can feel like hot clamminess in it and he's pointing out which pair he wants to wear and I'm holding the table with one arm and the other arm I'm fishing his pair of shoes and picking out the perfect pair to bring this table to the car and it was such an <laughs> I felt like so kind of like okay I'm now inside you in a way you know and so I gave him his shoes, and it was no problem. In Toronto, that would you would end up in pieces in somebody's garbage if that happened. If if you touch somebody's shoes by accident, the inside of it, they are allowed to murder you and slice you up. But anyway, all that to say, okay, so here's here's the premise of Wakefield Sessions. So I kind of touched on it off the top, but what it is, I interview people. This this place is made up of characters and artists and super talented people and interesting people with stories and, and fun-loving, uh, you know, citizens. Citizens? Who am I, Batman? Who am I, Batman? Bruce Wayne? What, why do I... I've never used the word citizens properly until just now. And basically, I wanted to interview a bunch of people and introduce them to the world. So this is, um, is this is a way to show you Wakefield. It's a really special place, a really special corner here in the Gatineau Hills. So let's just get right into it. Usually, so for any new listeners, usually there's a bunch of segments that happen, a monologue segments, then I get into interviews. Sometimes I do alone, like solo podcasts. Uh, so this one, I'll keep it short. I'll do a quick monologue, which I just did, and then we'll just uh, get right into it. My first guest is a uh, singer-songwriter that I've seen over the years here in our uh, in and out of towns, and uh, he's a super, super talented musician, lyricist, and he's got an accent. So I asked him where he's from. He's Australian, and uh, I knew right away he'd have a good story, and he does. Let's just, uh, you're going to enjoy this. Enjoy, all right? You're going to like it, okay? So enjoy now my chat with the one, the only, Greg Paul Stone. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy
Here we are. That, of course, that you just heard there is my guest today. And uh, man, oh man, am I excited to uh, interview this uh, fine gentleman. And he sits across from me here in the new digs, the new Lemon Press uh, Studios up in the Gatineau Hills. Greg Paul Stone is here. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you First doing? First of all, good. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers to you. Cheers little to moose you. green. Oh, yeah. This episode unofficially brought to you by Moosehead. <laughs> I'm going to get sued now. Uh, it's not really... 
Greg Paul Stone is my guest. I always knew you as Greg Stone, mm-hmm. but the the Paul is your middle name. I take it, or yeah, it's it my name? middle name. There's um, I, I'm from Australia, and there's uh, there's an actor in Australia whose name is Greg Stone. And oh uh, yeah, I can't yeah. have two Greg Stones from well, Australia. Just, you know, with like Facebook and the way things are now, it just helps to set me apart. Yeah. you know, from the other Greg Stones around. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds good, Greg Greg Paul Stone. Right. I yeah, like I feel, the three name thing. Right, it feels like John Paul Jones or something. That's or, right. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. That's know. a good reference. Yeah. Maybe I'll go by Julian Jeremy Dion. Now. There you go. Yeah. Or, Jer- or or Julian Paul Dion. Paul. Paul is a good. Just middle everyone room. should have Paul. Um, so this is what I'm doing. You're my first guest. This is uh, I've mentioned off the top and in previous episodes leading up to this. This is Wakefield Sessions. So what I like to do is, you know, we just moved here uh, to Wakefield in the Gatineau Hills, and as you know, and I know, and people that live here know, this is a magical, special place. And so this is my mm-hmm. attempt to introduce Wakefield. Wakefield locals, Wakefield people that are doing badass things such as yourself to the world and um, and also to Wakefield locals that may be listening out there. Hello, first of all, thanks for listening. Hi. Hi, Wakefield. Hey, Wakefield. And uh, so, so to any Wakefielders, this might be another side of... of uh, the people uh, in this case, Greg Paul Stone, the, the, you know, because we're, we're going to go deep. We might uncover some dark shit. We might. Uh, and by the way, you can curse on this thing. It's not oh, great. PG-13, so uh, anything goes. Whore cunt. I like to throw that out there. Right? It's, it's my go-to. Yeah. So um, so I'm glad to have you on. I've, I've known you for, I mean, we've known each other for several years yeah. now, just like kind of being in the village. I mean, almost mm-hmm. every time that I've seen you, you were performing and you are legitimately like weird good like like almost crazy good it's <laughs> weird good i like that you know what i mean like there's obviously something wrong with you and we're gonna find out what it is <laughs> i'm gonna go that place okay. yeah no because you you are you kind of the unofficial house kind of host at, at the cafe on wednesday or just yeah. kind of always around and no i'm i'm the the one that's in charge of running the night now and, and have been since uh, well for about a year and a half Oh, is that right? Yeah. Was yeah. there kind of a period there between, because Louis was was that guy, right. Louis yeah. Rompre, God, yeah. God rest his soul, a legend in the Gatineau Hills here, the unofficial mayor of Wakefield for many, many mm. years. And then was there sort of a period where no one was doing it? Uh, no, Luther Wright was doing oh, it right. then for, uh, I guess it was a year or two. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, then I took over after that. Mm-hmm. And you have this ability to just jump in on on any song at any given point on any genre anybody i mean someone could be going up there and doing slam poetry and you could just go up and shred in the background somehow and it'll fit you'd be like yeah that that guy has to bring greg around everywhere right. now it might have fearless or stupid you know, like <laughs> yeah. one of the two perhaps and so so every like like i said so every time i've seen you was, was on stage and you're so phenomenally good uh, at guitar, by the way, I should uh, preface by anybody that uh, is listening that does not know uh, Greg. Greg is a phenomenal guitar player and uh, lyricist. And also uh, the open mic I'm referring to is at Cafe 1870 here on the Main Strip in Wakefield every Wednesday night. They have an open stage, which features mu- musicians, local musicians, mm-hmm. but also people passing through, people from kind of all we over. We have all sorts of people. Yeah, there's a lot of locals come, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we have p- folks come in from as far as Ottawa and you know Buckingham and places like that. And then uh, there's always seems to be someone touring from somewhere that you know they're going to hit the Black Sheep the next night or 
you know, there's some friend or someone who's on tour with someone, or, you know, so yeah, it's a, it's a really high caliber uh, for an open mic in a little village, I find. It's really unbelievable the, the the ratio, and this is what I've talked about on the podcasts about Wakefield. It's you have it's a super artistically supportive place, mm-hmm. and the pool, the talent pool, like because you, it could be a, you know artistically supportive place, but not necessarily you know cultivate this insane amount of talent that Wakefield seems to display. It's mm. just crazy. Yeah. Whether that's musicians, uh, poetry, or, or fine, or like visual arts, or whatever, it's just this weird little hub of super talented people that come here to just chill and, and be inspired. And right. it is an inspiring place. It is, yeah. yeah. And um, restaurants, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you have... You know these chefs from the Ottawa area that have gone all over the world and had careers, and they kind of come here and settle yeah. down, and and you know they have all these little hole in the wall places right. with twenty, thirty seats and just the best food. Yeah. And uh, and then you find yourself at the cafe on a Wednesday night, which is really <laughs> magical. That yeah. place, yeah. The vibe in there. If you're listening to this and you're within, I don't know, an hour. If you're in the Ottawa area or whatever, if you've never been to Wakefield or never been to cafe to the cafe on a, on a Wednesday, do yourself a favor and come up. It's pure magic, what happens in there. And um, year round, especially, I find more so in the winter because then it's really sh- all yes. shut. You know, everybody's inside. Yeah. And in the summer, you get the, you know the patio traffic and whatnot, which is cool. Yeah. But the winter uh, in there, the vibe, it's warm. It's the lighting, yeah. the, the music. It's cozy. It's yeah. cozy. Yeah. It's just. You can't believe, like you said, you're in this small village, you know. Yeah, and, oh. and like people will come in and do really ambitious things. Like it was a week or two ago, a guy came in and he called a bunch of guys up on stage to jam with him. And normally people call someone up and they're doing a pretty easy song or something. And uh, he's like, okay, we're going to do Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> wow. Like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we tried it and, you know, I'm sure there were, you know, moments where it was like less than perfect but uh all you need is one magic moment yeah we kind of all half played it before so we just you know made it work and uh yeah people lifted the roof it was awesome because that's what it's about like i find with the open mic is that you'll get a great performance and everyone nailed it and people will be really excited about that but they almost get more excited when you try for something that you know you can't really actually do. For sure. You know? yeah. And that's when people get really excited at the cafe, I find. Totally. And people yeah. feel that. But when, oh, they, yeah. when they know you're trying something out yeah. and it's yeah. kind of, you know, you're going you're going yeah. into the unknown and yeah. you're, you kind of feel a part of a journey as, exactly. as an audience member. You're yeah. like, okay, let's do this. And yeah. that's when people really dial in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a special, special place. And it seems like it's almost on the weekly, some, there's something that happens, you know, yeah. Uh, there's one moment yeah. if if you don't go like yeah. sometimes I'll miss it and I'll be like shit you hear people talk yeah. about like oh yeah. man there's a barbershop quartet last night or just yeah. something exactly. you're like oh yeah. man how did yeah. I why did I not, well, not go this way I, I try and live stream as much to uh, to our Facebook group as possible so I always try and do the opening act who was always our guest host and uh and then I try and do at least one or two other acts each night, hoping to catch that, you know, lightning in a bottle kind of moment, you know, and uh, and get it out there for the people who can't be there because, you know, not everyone can come every week. And, totally. Yeah. 
plug plug the Facebook group for our listeners. Uh, well, it's going to be Cafe 1870 Open Stage is okay. the name of the Facebook group, and it's a public open group. Uh, I think you you need to ask to join, but apart from that, it's completely yeah. open. And Cafe uh, K A F F E. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, important. <laughs> 1870, as in the numbers. The number. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, okay, so so let's get to uh, know you a little bit more. You said you're Australian, mm. so you, you're from Australia. Which part of Australia? Uh, I grew up in Brisbane, in mm-hmm. Queensland, and uh, and lived there until uh, I was I don't know in my early to mid twenties somewhere, and then kind of did some traveling. And and when I came back to Australia, I landed in uh, in Melbourne and uh, decided to to live there. You know, it was a better music scene I, I found uh, at the time. Um, or at least, you know, ticked the boxes that, that I wanted ticked. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that was it for me there. I'd stayed in Melbourne for, you know, a good 15 years or so after that and before moving to Canada in, in 2009. 2009 is when yeah. you made the move to Canada. Yeah. And, and back in Australia, when did you pick up a guitar? What, like, are you from a musical family? Was there no. always instruments lying around? No. no, no, no. My mother and father didn't play anything, uh, I don't think even the extended family really played much. My brother and I both picked up guitar, and I think my my younger sister, my parents, like made her take flute lessons or something. But uh, like the recorder, the yeah, no, just Rotel, yeah, just Rotel, yeah, style. But she wasn't she wasn't sort of that into it. Um, not in a just Rotel way, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my brother and I, we we you know, like I, I'm the oldest, and I, I I started playing drums when I was in high school, and uh, and that's what I really wanted to play guitar but the uh the guitar lessons were all full on the day that you go to sign up or whatever so i was like oh what else is in a rock band i'll take the drums and like the guitar lessons at school you mean yeah right. like they yeah they were full by the time i got there to sign up or whatever right but yeah so my mother tells me anyway i don't actually <laughs> remember <laughs> and what did your parents do uh, my dad was an electrician, or yeah, well, he's uh, he's retired now, but uh, yeah, he was an electrician, and uh, and mom was housewife, you know, mm-hmm. like tennis mad, you know, like she she had us all playing tennis from like the age of five. You Is know? that big in Australia? Oh man, it's huge. Is yeah. it like huge? Yeah. What's like, the national sport slash pastime there? Well. The the summer sport is cricket, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, or like netball maybe for women, which is I don't know if you know what netball is. It's is kind it like of, handball kind of. No, or? it's kind of like basketball ish. Yeah, you got to throw a ball through a hoop, and there's sections of the court, and yeah, I don't know, I don't really understand it, but, <laughs> but it's usually played by women, so it's more of right. a women's kind of sport. Uh, or mixed, perhaps, but uh, but men would just play basketball, I think, um, which isn't really that big. No, it would be cricket is like the big summer sport, um, or uh, or some kind of football in winter. You know, mm-hmm. like they're the really big things. Yeah. You know? And how many? You said one brother, a couple sisters. Yeah, I got no. I got one younger brother and one younger sister. Okay, yeah, three kids yeah, yeah. growing up. So you start with the drums, yeah. and right away, are you are you kick ass at drums does it take time no well i had this real hard ass drum teacher who was like old school military style and uh he wouldn't even let us sit at the drum kit for the first year so is it so like whiplash <laughs> i'm picturing in whiplash <laughs> did you th- did he throw a symbol at your head <laughs> he was prone to hit us with sticks and stuff is that we right? were messing around yeah. yeah no you could still hit kids back then mm. at school so yeah he just and do you know. think that helped do you think that kind of like are you of, well, the, of the thought that like shit had he not 
done that, maybe I wouldn't have, whatever, I don't know, fill in the blank? Or do you mm. think he could have done without and it would have been just the same? The hitting or the, the strict sort of, you know, sit at, not sitting at the drum kit? Uh, the hitting. The hitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I probably needed the hitting on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> and the not sitting at the drum kit, he would just make you learn by watching? Well, no, he would, no, we had to play uh, like snare drum only, like rudiments. Oh, okay, All we did wow. for the first year was rudiments. Oh my God, you yeah. grew up in Whiplash. Yeah. It's like yeah, exactly the yeah, same thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we couldn't do anything but that like he he would you know wow. we would be in trouble for actually sitting down at, and trying to play at the drum kits so, so very textbook yeah. kind of yeah. learn to walk before he can run sort yeah, of yeah but then as we got older he got a lot more relaxed with things you know when, i guess once we got to know each other and you know like we how we long did he teach you like throughout which great like grades? Uh, i started high school in i think it was year eight yeah back then and so yeah it was probably three years i think i stopped mm. in year 11 or year 12 yeah interesting you say year year eight year 11 right. every country because here we say grade eight right grade yeah. 11 yeah. in the states they say the 11th grade or the, the 8th grade, grade right and then yeah. in australia i guess yeah. now we're learning is yeah. year eight year, year 11 eight. we say a lot of things <laughs> weird <laughs> <laughs> you say shrimp and barbie um, no we don't say shrimp actually no <laughs> we say prawn prawn there <laughs> so, we go wow racist yeah, yeah. uh that's a that's a generalization um okay so then and then how do you go from drums to to guitar how do you make that progression well yeah i mean you know like i was playing in the lame concert band at school and then um uh, a buddy of mine who lived up the road he uh, he also played drums and uh, he was a couple of years uh, older than me and uh, he was playing in some band that were playing like pub gigs and you know not doing much nothing terribly exciting but you know, actually a band, and uh, and he had to leave town. His parents and he were they were moving off to another city, and so he he recommended me to go and play drums with this band and be their drummer now. And uh, uh, it didn't, you know, end well. But uh, for a little while, you know, I was in this band, and we did do some, you know, some shows and whatever. You know, did you go straight sessions. from like performing in school band to like live shows right away? Yeah, well, like you know, I was well, I was still in the school band right. at that point, you know, because in order to do the drum lessons, you had to be in the band. It was a condition of that, you know, because they didn't want people who were just there to learn rock chops or whatever. You know, you had to be in the band the technical yeah, yeah. and the technical um, side of things and stuff. yeah well the, in, in their mind i guess that was the final outcome of being in lessons was to be in that band you know right but for me it was to be in the rock band that was of course at the, the pub so uh, so yeah we did a i don't know a few gigs or something and uh, and i was super into it but uh you know like there was a big age difference and i was completely immature and you know so you were younger than those guys? Yeah, I was. I think I was maybe fifteen at the time that I was in that band. So you weren't even like allowed to go into pubs usually. But no, yes. I was. I was working with right. inverted commas, sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, so. And were you shitting your pants the first time you did a pub? Oh did, yeah, I was shitting my pants at rehearsal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, it was just one constant stream of shitting my pants at that point because I didn't. I was totally just making it up as I went along. Yeah. Like I knew some basic drum beats and I would play along to my favorite Midnight Oil records or whatever you know and 
aside from that, you know, I really knew nothing about anything about how to be a musician or, you know, gig etiquette, you know, like even rehearsal etiquette, you know, like it was, I was just a fucking hot mess from one end to the other, you know, so I'm not surprised that I didn't last long with them, you know. Right. Um, so did they kick you out? Oh, yeah, they totally kicked me no out. No shit. Well, yeah, like halfway through a recording session or something. No yeah. way. <laughs> Why? You just get, because you I, talk about etiquette, like what sort of things were you doing? Well, I, well, I, well, I mean, these guys were older and, you know, like they could handle themselves. Like I would, you know, have a couple of beers and get high and then I couldn't even function, you know, like, you know, so like it, it was, I couldn't play drums, that's yeah, for sure, yeah. you know, like. What's uh, the legal drinking age in Australia? 18. 18, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So here you are, 15, you're getting drunk at pub shows and you get booted out. How long did you last in the band? Uh, Two or three shows, maybe. In total, total, the whole thing would have been, you know, it was all start to finish, maybe three months. So you went like a complete arc and slash roller coaster of emotions. (laughs) You get in this band and you're like, holy shit, this is happening. All the reasons that I got behind this kit to begin with. You do pub shows, you start going off the rails immediately at 15. <laughs> smoking was, dope yeah, yeah, was, and uh, drinking beer something like that yeah, yeah. and <laughs> then you are in a recording session yeah. and and are you drunk or high at the recording session yeah. You, oh, yeah, yeah 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 and then but, they, um, and everyone was right you know, of course like, of yeah, course but, but you were probably like you say you couldn't handle it i just couldn't handle it you know and, <laughs> and uh, then what do they do mid mid session they just go get out of here like this yeah, is not working just like this is not working you know like you, you, you you're terrible you get out like take oh, your shit and go home you god know? were you just completely crushed uh kind uh no i wasn't crushed i was disappointed you know that that i'd kind of you're probably too high to be crushed yeah i didn't (laughs) really yeah the crush the crushing came later i guess but uh (laughs) but no it it, yeah i did i it was funny i remember not really caring that much you know yeah because the band kind of sucked anyway you know like maybe part of it was a relief you're like it's too much pressure or something yeah yeah i definitely wasn't ready for that you know certainly with guys who were you know four or five years older or something at the time you know it was just it was just too much of a gulf between us you know at that age that four or five years is a big difference when you're 15 and they're 20 21 that's a huge yeah that's that's like a 20 year different yeah difference you know yeah and do you do you how do you leave that's do you grab your own sticks and and get out well i'm not even driving i had to get my dad to come and pick me up Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, so, and this yeah. is pre-cell phones. So, oh, yeah. No. So, you just call your dad. Yeah, I had to borrow, like, go and find a phone somewhere and call. And, you know, <laughs> Come pick me up, Dad. I think I, a- I, think I, 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 think I pulled, hold all of my shit out of there and yeah. put it on the curb so that, you know, I didn't have to wait inside, yeah, you know. Fuck. But, uh, yeah, that was that. Was that and I then guess, where do you, you go know? from there? Well, from there, you know, like, uh, it was like, uh, you know, and it, it, it was funny because through doing that, I actually realized that I I didn't much like being the drummer in a band purely because I just didn't like carting all that shit around, you know, like it's a lot of It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of gear that you need and uh and it's all, you know, has to be set up just right and it takes forever to set up and you got to be there before the rest of the band, you know, to get on the stage first and you know, and because it, it takes you so long to set up or whatever, you know, especially with shitty gear that I had. Mm. Um and so, yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, I was still playing drums and, but I just sort of stopped lessons when I got to the upper years of high school and, uh, and it was around the time that I left high school that I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I think I'm going to try this guitar thing again. So I, 
think I borrowed some old acoustic from, you know, my cousin's cupboard or something and was making horrible noises on that for a while. And, uh, and then I had, I had some money that I'd saved up from working at Kmart or something like that. And so, uh, I went and bought a little guitar, electric guitar starter pack and, uh, and yeah, that was it. You know, like. And were your parents? Your parents must have been supportive, because what a difference practicing drum versus the guitar in the house. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, you know, they were saints to put up with my drumming because, you know, we're not, we're not talking, you know, like sophisticated, you know, or anything. You know, this was just brutal teenage bashing, you know, and uh, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, I think they were probably relieved when the drums went, because uh, yeah, I think I might have even sold the drums to mm. pay for the guitar or something like like that anyway a little entrepreneurial spirit of the young something age. like that yeah, yeah and and is is drums like a good base musically to then branch off to other instruments this is it just completely different right. completely different uh it's it's really good in the sense that you know firstly um if you get to the point where you can actually play whole songs and things it gives you lots of good skills that you can use in all other areas of you know music keep the rhythm you know keeping a good sense of time and Mm -hmm. not relying on other people for the time that everyone who's together in a song it's all of their responsibility to hold the time not just the drummer you're not there to follow the drummer you're all there to play together it's just that he's marking the time got it see i was always in the impression that the drummer led but but he just marks the time no you're all in it together and if you're not all in it together then something's gonna go wrong at some point you know so uh, it's a chain, right? And yeah. There's yeah, a link. And yeah. They're all your, because I was always under the impression, yeah, the drummer led, then the bass, and then everybody else just kind of followed the, the drummer and the bass player. Right. Yeah. No, I, I certainly don't see it wow, that okay. way. You know, it, I mean, it can help to see it that way if you need to be led. Right. You know, to right. just follow the drummer. Um, but ultimately, you want to all be in it together and to all feel the shared sense of time as you move forward. Mm. Right? Personally. I For think. sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that's a better way of looking at it yeah than I, well, I mean i know nothing there's a collective responsibility at that that's point right. right so uh uh yeah um but yeah like uh it, it teaches you things like that you know a good sense of time and um uh it can really help you to get a handle on you know just the structure of a song you know like a, it is a you know intro verse chorus blah blah you know this section that section whatever you know um, and uh, and learning how to count and feel the beat, you know, they're all really important things that any musician should be able to do. You know? Right. So, yeah, I think it's a great place to start. You know, that or piano is also piano know, seems like to be traditionally a good, the yeah the you know the one that covers most bases. Yeah. Because because piano you you like learn to read music. So did you know how to read music when you're playing drums? Yeah, I learned to read, and I had to play like tuned percussion as well, so like timpanis and xylophone and that sort of thing. And okay, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, so, so you I, really got like the top notch. Yeah, know. my school actually, uh, Cooperu High School, back in good old Brisbane. Um, we had uh, one of uh, a few programs in the state that were like an advanced music program that was just in, you know, it was just in a few schools uh, and we were lucky enough to have it in that one. And uh, yeah, so we, we got to do things like our musicals would, we would take our musicals to other places and show the musicals, you know, because they were these big productions with wow. big bands and stages, uh, you know, sets and everything. So yeah, I remember once... Uh, when I was involved with the musical, we went all the way. It was like a thousand-kilometer trip up to another city, and uh, and did shows there. And uh, I think we did shows for a week, and then came back. 
So yeah, so you kind of got a taste from the road that way too. A little like bit, kind yeah. of all aspects of the music. And it was a pretty crazy trip, I tell you. So, Is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was a bunch of you know hormonal teenagers <laughs> all all being billeted <laughs> out in different schools, you know, in different houses with other kids from this school that we were going to to do shows at and uh, oh that must have been like a dream well it it was for everyone else my cousin and i we were labeled as uh as troublemakers and so we were billeted with the principal oh (laughs) why were you why were you labeled the troublemaker i don't know i think it was all my cousin red dog he was always getting me into trouble (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> vandalism and shit or just, yeah, kind of, just, just whatever up in yeah, normal just, teenage yeah, shit yeah just getting up to mischief you know yeah. like yeah if there's uh, if there's an angle then I'm trying to work it right so yeah something like that well, that's hilarious <laughs> you said that you were you were drinking and, and getting high at 15 is that pretty standard around where you grew up or is that just that, it was common amongst the people that I knew, you know, yeah. 15, and tell me this, 16. Yeah. Australians mix weed and tobacco a lot, right? Is, yeah, is that, yeah. Like that's more... Yeah, that's more common. Right. Yeah. I, I have a friend that traveled to Australia and uh, they couldn't believe that he would smoke straight up weed joints. They're like, are you ins- <laughs> right, insane? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it depends on how strong your weed is, you that's know, right. because if it's crazy strong, how do you even fit enough into it like half a spliff and you'd be on your face yeah but uh looking for a kangaroo to fight right something (laughs) like that (laughs) i'm just going for all the cliches here (laughs) shrimp and kangaroo something about the toilet running backwards yeah yeah is that true (laughs) uh i guess i I don't remember yeah Yeah. i think so yeah i think that's true um okay so then you pick up the guitar and you kind of start do you hit the ground running pretty much right away with guitar or how did you yeah i went at it pretty hard i mean i wasn't doing much else you know it was um it was kind of a delinquent period in my life so i I wasn't really doing much in the way you graduated from high school this yeah yeah well i'd finished yeah but um and uh and so yeah i had this guitar and you know had my my buddies that i was hanging around with and um yeah, we a bunch of us played different things, and you know, I was super into punk music at the time. You know, so I was listening to a lot of you know um, late seventies UK punk and, and uh, some US punk here and there, and um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, hey, you know, this, there was the whole myth with punk DIY stuff that you know, just you don't even need to know how to play, just go and start just a band, and so that's that's pretty much what I did. You make know, a I, sound. I basically cobbled together enough sounds to make some sort of you know something that sounded like songs on the guitar, and uh, and yeah, formed a band with a bunch of my you know young punk buddies and of uh, the same age. Mostly, <laughs> yeah. Like we we had a lot of trouble finding a singer, and um, and so. Yeah, we went through a bunch of singers, and then the the probably the singer that that lasted the longest, but also just you know caused the band to just be completely dysfunctional and you know fall apart in the end was uh, he was much older. You know, he was a guy that we met through some friend of a friend, and he was, must have been like twenty eight or something, and we were all you know maybe eighteen, and I think I was the oldest of the rest of us. You know, the other guys were maybe sixteen, seventeen, and. Uh, I mean, you know, he was he was a loser. <laughs> oh yeah, looking back, at the time, did you think, "Fuck, this guy's a badass"? And now you look back, you go, "Jesus, he's well, actually he, a loser." He, he, he wasn't a badass musically, but yeah, he was he was a badass in other ways. Like right, we found right. out all this shit later because we, he never told us much about his past or anything. So you didn't know he was a loser at the time, but looking back, you go, "No, oh, yeah, what the hell was, was this guy?" Well, doing I kind of figured that. Yeah, I don't know, like 
I don't know. He 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 he, he became our singer, you know, and that right. was all I really cared about, you know. So, uh, but yeah, the, I was kind of thinking, you know, like I don't know, you know, I this guy's old. I hope I'm not doing this when I'm his age, <laughs> right? Hey, because again, that age spread when you're 18 and someone's 28, it's that may as well spread. be 50 year difference. Yeah, like it's, it's a big spread, particularly with the kind of music we were doing. You know, if we were just like a pub covers band or something, you know, we we didn't do any covers. We only did these obnoxious punk songs that we'd written ourselves. Is know? that right? Yeah, and they were terrible. You know, but. Um, but we loved it and we had a great time and you know we 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 got into all sorts of trouble with that band as well but uh but yeah this guy who was the singer it it was funny because at one point you know like one night he just never came home you know and uh and it had been like a day or two and we we're like where's brenton man like what happened to him <laughs> like what is going on with this guy and uh, then we hear from the bass player's mom or something and uh and and they had both been arrested for something, uh, like they stole some sand shoes or something. I don't know what they, they were drunk and being stupid. Anyway, he'd uh, he'd been arrested and, and then it was only then that it all came out, like this big record that he had for like armed robbery and, you know, like all this crazy stuff that he'd done and, uh, and all the years that he'd spent in jail uh, in another city. No shit. Yeah, wow. so we didn't even know any of this stuff. So oh, that's what I mean when he was kind of a badass, but... Not, not in a good way. Not in the way that we needed. We needed a musical badass, <laughs> right. someone to whip us into shape. Totally, but, yeah. Yeah, no, he was just plain old badass. Yeah. So did it come for full circle and did you kick... Kick him out of the van. Oh, it was over, man. It like was he, over. He, he, well, they, they had a thing because where I grew up in um, in Queensland uh, at this time, like this is we're talking like eighty eight, I guess. Um, and at the time, we were just coming out of like twenty years of repressive ultra right wing rule. Uh, I think it was that year that it happened, eighty eight. So there were the, these insanely draconian, you know, uh, laws uh, surrounding all sorts of things, you know, and um, and pretty much anyone who was a, you know, deemed a subversive type, uh, you know, personality was was bound to be in trouble with the police, and they had uh, three strikes and you're out laws, like they do in some places in the states. So he got a year's jail Holy for stealing shit. for breaking into that place and stealing those shoes. Wow. Yeah. And resisting arrest, I believe. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. So we were shocked. I mean, this was like, you know, and disgusted. Uh, but, you know, that was it. He was gone. You know, wow. Band was over. And, yeah. and, and that's crazy. And uh, were there things from that you learned from the first band that you brought into this this other band as a guitarist, where you're like, "Fuck, I'm not gonna get kicked out of this one," <laughs> or did, was it just kind of still all happening organically? And there was no it was there, there wasn't much planning going on. It was really just you know trying to cobble it together any way that we could. You know, like it was. Uh, yeah, I found that that even trying to to read like, you know, self you know music self-help type things you know where they give you advice on how to you know work in the industry or you know different things like that i found them so hard to relate to my experience in you know brisbane which uh brisbane i guess at the time was probably maybe a million people um so a city but not a big city by any stretch and in australia so pretty isolated from the rest of the world particularly mm. in a pre-internet kind of era so uh yeah i know it's uh i don't know i found myself not really 
seeing a clear path forward, just knowing that, you know, I liked playing music and if I could, I'd like to make a living out of that somehow, you know, mm-hmm. someday. <laughs> and here you are, you're in a band, your singer goes to jail for a year. Do you find another singer? Or do you step up do you, to the plate? or how No, it? it was just... It was like, just over, disbanded? Yeah, that's, it just really wasn't worth, you know, trying to continue at that point. The, the bass player who... Um, who was arrested as well uh, was and he was underage at the time, so you know his parents hit the roof and you know Shit. But, yeah. So we were we were persona non grata at that point. Uh, though all of us, you know, no matter whether we were involved with this thing or not, and uh, yeah, so that that was that, and you know, like it was like I said, it was all completely dysfunctional. Nobody knew how to communicate with each other you right know, properly. You know, we couldn't speak like. <laughs> civil adults you know it was yeah, just yeah, for sure yeah, it was mean, just at, ridiculous yeah. especially at that age i mean you know nothing you think you know everything but you know nothing uh, yeah you know and also most of us were trying to live up to some mythical rock and roll punk ideal in our minds that doesn't even exist it's just yeah. a figment of your imagination that's but right you don't know that you know when you're in the middle of it. oh you think it's real for, no, sure. for sure yeah, yeah and so so from there do you go i gotta find another band or i have to find a job like how do you did you ever have a backup plan or did you go to university or was it just always i'm gonna make this thing yeah, work no matter I, what? i went to university after that yeah i got uh i, I was like uh just you know i need a change of tack here and um so yeah, I went and studied uh, film and television production for a couple of years. No way. And uh, yeah, I did that for a while. And uh, through doing that, there was also people doing music programs at the same college. And uh, so I got to know some of them and we'd, we'd be making like film clips for them. And uh, and that was when I started another band. And, and that band was less dysfunctional as the previous one. It was <laughs> slowly, it was a, you know, it was a battle of inches, you know, just yeah. trying to... We the dysfunction <laughs> out, and so yeah. And was was why film and television is that also a passion? Or did you think you just wanted to be part of show business at some capacity, or, or? there was something like I was really into movies, and I mm-hmm. liked uh, you know I particularly liked a lot of uh, you know underground cinema and art house cinema and that sort of thing. You know, I was super into whatever David Lynch was doing, Jim Jarmusch, these types of people at the time. So uh, yeah, like I, I I saw it as a way that you know I could learn more about you know an artistic pursuit uh, at the same time as you know sort of still doing music in some other way and i still didn't see a clear career path mm. forward you know and in, in fact it seemed even more murky in some ways but <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i've never been really motivated by money so you know like having a career that was uh, where money was the sole you know thing that came out of it was it didn't really interest me at all yeah yeah. i'd rather be poor totally i hear that and so at which point do you go travel and and then relocate to to melbourne yeah so then uh you know i'm sort of in my early 20s and i had done um i had done my film and telly uh thing for a couple of years and then i sort of swapped out of that and went over to do did i start doing music then no no, I finished that, and then that's when I did some traveling. Yeah, I moved first. I moved to Cairns, which is in far north Queensland, and uh, and took a job up there, just like you know, some shitty cleaning job or something, and uh, saved money. And I went to India and spent three months in India. Wow. Uh, yeah. What was the inspiration behind that? Um, I, it was nothing like any place else I could even imagine. <laughs> I wanted to go somewhere that was like really very different to anything that australia could offer me and uh 
yeah, in, and, and was also not expensive. So in, uh, I wanted to go for a long time on little money. So yeah, that was, India seemed to tick a lot of the boxes for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And where did you stay when you were there? Just hostels and... Yeah, like backpackers and, yeah. you know, like this sort of thing. Occasionally we would befriend locals and stay with them because um, they're, they're insanely friendly, you know, generally speaking, the Indian people. Do you think traveling is like freakishly important? Like if I find, I think that it should be mandatory. When you graduate from high school, you should do a year of traveling and mm. you should do at least six months as a server in a restaurant just right. so you know how to fucking treat people <laughs> that work in restaurants. Right. If everyone did that, I yeah. feel like the world would be a well-balanced balanced yeah, place. Yeah. So did you see the importance? Because a lot of people that travel get that bug and they mm. just get obsessed with it right. and, and the experiences that you make, you know, you're under no rule. All of a sudden you're completely free. Your yeah. parents are far away. It's yeah. not like there's, there's yeah. you can just total freedom. Yeah. And so did you get hooked into that? Yeah. Like I, I really like that. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, it was, a uh, it was quite the revelation for me that, you know, that I could, uh, I could just go wherever I wanted, do whatever I wanted. Right. I, I didn't need to work or anything, you know, cause I'd saved up a bunch of money and, and so, yeah, I was, uh, I had a great time, you know, I was uh, there with my girlfriend at the time and, uh, and we, we, Spent three months going you know, as many places as we could. <laughs> did you have a guitar with you? Or you just didn't play music at that point for. A I few months? um, I bought a guitar there actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd been there maybe four weeks or something, and by this stage, I was pretty heavily into guitar. Like I, you know, I'd liked to play, and I played often, you know, um, and uh, so yeah, I'd been there about a month, and um, and I started you know, having some guitar withdrawals. I'd been like, you know, I think I I think I need to buy a cheap guitar. And um so uh I think we we were travelling we were in the middle of nowhere somewhere so well this we're not gonna get any guitars around here. And uh so the next time we went through Delhi, uh we had to go through there to get somewhere else and um uh, found a guitar store and uh, walked in and they had, you know, all these terrible guitars. But there was this one that I saw that was all made of plywood and just super cheap and shitty sounding, uh, but played like a dream, you know. And uh, one of my uh, one of my friends in Australia still has that guitar. Everyone who played this guitar freaking loved it. Man. Is there yeah, right? yeah, seriously. It, was, it looked like... It looked like the, you know, the Chuck Berry style of guitars, mm-hmm. you know, like for people who know guitars, it was kind of like a uh, Gibson 335 yep, or yep. something like that. So it got the big F holes and right, had a yep. thin body and, mm-hmm. you know, it looked really stylish. And uh, the beautiful thing about it was it was called a Gibson with a V. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, if people didn't have their glasses on or, you know, it was a dark room, they'd be like, wow, check out that old Gibson. But, uh, <laughs> but this thing was like a total plywood guitar, like literally made of three ply. And, uh, and yeah, just really rough around the edges, you know. But, uh, but yeah, played like a dream. And, uh, and when it was funny, when I left Australia, I actually... I actually let a bunch of my students or former students know, you know, who had loved that guitar over the years. Look, I'm leaving. I'm selling a bunch of my guitars, including the Gibson. And there was like a bidding war over the Gibson. No way. Yeah. I think I doubled my money on it. Is that right? Well, I mean, it's got some prestige. It was bought in Delhi. It's kind of like this thing. And yeah. it's a Gibson. It I mean, towed it around, you know, the whole of India. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I imagine, are you writing songs at this point? Because I imagine there's nothing that fills the well more than traveling and seeing the world and, yeah. and experiencing life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I'd, um, I'd, I think I had been 
like jamming with some people and stuff before I left Brisbane uh, and also in Cairns. But uh, yeah, I was feeling that it was, you know, time to get back into that sort of thing. You know, I seem to go through, I often go through stages with that. You know, if you look at the long game mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, there'll be a period of several years where there'll be, you know, a lot of music coming out. And then I'll go and work on other projects or do other things and and then come back to it again after several years. So, yeah, I was feeling that coming out of that trip that I was moving into one of those periods where I was, you know, going to be creating more original music. And uh, and so the shift to Melbourne just came naturally with that. You know, I joined, I think, two or three bands by the time I'd been there a month or something. So, yeah, it was one of those. So you went right from, from traveling to, to Melbourne? Yeah. And then you've got a couple bands going. Yeah. You've been writing some originals. Yeah. It's going well, mm-hmm. and and do you does one of the bands hit more than the others, or how do you? Or um, well, I, after I'd been there, I hadn't been there that long, and uh, and you know I decided that I wanted to go and you know study like music on guitar properly, you know, because up until this point I was completely self-taught on guitar. I still kind of vaguely remembered how to read music um, and some of the fundamentals of it from when I learned it back in high school, but I didn't learn it as it relates to guitar, so it was the sort of thing that, you know, didn't really give me a lot of assistance in terms of learning guitar. I was still just kind of cobbling it together like anyone who learns on their own. And so, uh, you know, it was it was pretty good, I think. You know, I could solo and stuff, you know, in a rock sort of style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it was nothing earth-shattering happening, you know, in my guitar playing, that's for sure, at the time. So I was like, yeah, you know, I think, you know, I'm good enough that if I work on this, you know, within the space of, you know, say four or five years tops, I should be able to actually be making a living just from playing guitar teaching or you know whatever else goes with being a musician yeah something in that arena yeah exactly yeah and what what are you doing for work at this point in melbourne um i i went through a bunch of shitty jobs you know but uh probably the one that i stuck with the longest which uh was it was working in like a industrial kitchen making like catering food you know so we made uh like sushi made sushi platters and this sort of thing and uh it was uh it was a ridiculous place. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pickling factory for octopus and onions all day where three little old Greek ladies in their 80s pickled octopus Shut and onions up. for like eight hours. And you would walk in there and the fucking smell would hit you like a brick in the face. Well, I was just going to say there's nothing that sounds more revolting than pickled octopus. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Uh, like seriously? It must be tough. Yeah. Like, a, like eating an eraser. Yeah. <laughs> because oh. <laughs> it it's so finicky octopus you have to like cook it like if you cook it a second too long it's just like so oh no yeah it was, it's very rubbery yeah oh man yeah. The, the pickling kind of softens it like tenderizes okay, it somewhat yeah. i mm-hmm. think over time but yeah no it wasn't wasn't in my sort of you know top five list and then at it. night it was an industrial kitchen for catering yeah so it was like 24-hour kitchen basically wow. and so they they would do this thing then we'd come in and start doing sushi uh, prep in the afternoon and then sushi we'd we'd run you know pretty much most of the night you know like through till maybe four or five sometimes mm. and then then the old greek ladies would turn up at six or something yeah. and we'd get started again <laughs> that was for the octopus now the old greek ladies by the way <laughs> well 
you didn't see him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. There is this element of, of restaurant slash food prep work that's kind of parallel to the music industry. It's kind of like you said about the no one leads. You're kind of all in it together when you, you, you know, it might be different when you're in an industrial kitchen making sushi all night and there's not necessarily people people waiting there for the food, but you're kind of in the trenches together. And once yeah. you're done, you know, you have a cigarette by the dumpster and you're like, holy shit, we did, we, we did it. Yeah. There's uh, a- we were on a very strict time schedule because sushi, um, for the for us to be able to roll it better, the, the rice is still warm, right? Right. Um, not to mention the freshness of the whole thing and yeah the fish. yeah that's right yeah and of course uh you know whatever sort of perishables you're working with but but because the all of this food had to be shipped out to go to you know uh, supermarkets or you know catering companies or wherever it was going at a particular time it had to be in the fridge by a particular time otherwise it wasn't up to safety standards and they could reject it because it wasn't cold enough when they got it there so right. so we were always under the pump to get all this stuff into the fridge by like whatever two in the morning or something and some nights on small orders no problem you know nights where it's like a triple size order like what can you do you know like everyone's just going crazy trying to get it in there yeah yeah Yeah, i've worked in restaurants for many many years and there's such a close parallel to showbiz it is show business in a sense Mm -hmm. i mean especially i served for like 10 years and it's it is show business it's you know it's this whole thing but um so you, you do that for a bit and you're you start taking guitar lessons and you're learning different things because you were self-taught mm. did you realize when you started taking lessons that you had maybe some bad habits oh yeah did, yeah yeah i had all these bad habits that i had to self unlearn you know, yeah i had to correct all of those yeah is yeah. that tougher than starting from scratch um no well no i don't think so no i already had you know a lot of the core skills there you know it was just a case of making myself apply them in different ways i think yeah yeah so now you're kind of on the on the periphery of 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 making this a living you're thinking okay i'm serious taking lessons i'm unlearning bad habits i'm learning new good habits this could be a thing the whole time are your parents supportive or are they like okay now you need to figure it out because you're working in in an industrial kitchen rolling sushi at two in the morning i think by this stage they were just like well he's not in that punk band anymore so it's all (laughs) good he's not in jail (laughs) he's not in jail (laughs) how old were you at this point i was probably late 20s late 20s yeah i moved to melbourne when i was about 25 and uh yeah i guess this is probably you know yeah, late twenties. Yeah. When did you go from like a, a guitar player to fucking insane? Because now you're insane. <laughs> let's let's be real. You play. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it probably happened sometime while I was teaching at the high school. Maybe. Or, when did yeah, you it start could have even that? happened after I came here. Yeah, right. yeah I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't share your opinion of that. I'm just <laughs> I'm just playing the best I can so today. I'll take right? my word. Take the village's <laughs> word for it. You are just a phenomenal guitar player. It's crazy to watch. It's inspiring, actually. You feel like you could do anything when you see you play guitar. Like, oh my god! I just want to go out and do stuff. Um, and and because you were such a fan of music and guitar, and you had been doing it for so many years, when it kind of clicks and it starts working, and mm. you hit that first solo or that crazy thing, you go, mm. "Oh shit." Is it just a rush? Is oh, it just yeah. like, oh my god, this is sad? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you when you 
when you feel where it's going and then it goes there, you know, that's, yeah, there's, there's nothing quite like that. Right. You know? And particularly when things aren't planned, you know, mm. like it's one thing to be like, okay, guys at rehearsal, so we're going to build this thing and then we're going to do that and then we'll all stop and I'll do that thing and, you know, everyone will go crazy. You know, that's, that's great, you know, if you can plan that out and pull that off and, and that's, uh, you know, if, you, if you've got enough time and the, the, enough people with the willpower to pull that off, you can, that's like shooting fish in a barrel in some ways. It just, you just need to set all the ducks up to actually fall at the right time. But, but it's when it happens just spontaneously, and I'm sure you know this from doing comedy, right? That you Those know, are the magic like, moments. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. right? The unplanned yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, someone drops a glass in the back of the room yeah. and you, just, you get 10 new minutes of whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, w- when do you start making any sort of money doing this and going, okay, I can quit my jobs now and... and um, well, I uh, was at working at the the sushi kitchen, and um, and while I was there, I started going to college to to study guitar and doing like jazz study and sort of really digging deep on that. So you know, I would pretty much do you know practice college or sushi for you know it was about a good year that I pretty much just did that right, and um, then. In my second year of college, uh, I picked up some teaching work. So I was teaching like, you know, maybe two or three days a week, I think, at that point. And was starting to get some calls for gigs. And so I ditched the sushi and was just living off whatever I made from, you know, that stuff and still doing college. And then I started getting some more gigs. I think I picked up another day's teaching. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to ditch the college now because it seems like I'm already kind of working close yeah. en- close enough right <laughs> you know? so uh so yeah i just went full out at it then you know and uh and yeah didn't didn't even finish second year of college i don't think mm. um and uh so yeah it was and it, it you know what it's like you, you it's about who you know right you know so like totally. you know so the, the more you get out and play and the more you prove to to people that you might want to play with that you're not a dickhead then you know the easier it gets to pick up new work, right? So For sure. Yeah. And the opposite is true. Out of sight, out of mind. If you're not around, people exactly. just don't think of you. They might no. like you. They might yeah. they might like the way you play. They might like everything about you. But if you're not around, they just don't think of you. No. And then you see all these people getting the job. So you got to kind of, yeah, you have to be in it, yeah. in the circle, in the, yeah. in the thing doing it. And so... Not to skip over too many years, but how do you, how do you make the? Did you go from from Melbourne to here? Yeah, yeah, I was in Melbourne for I think it was fifteen, seventeen years all up. I can't remember the math off the top of my head. Oh wow, yeah, yeah it so was quite a while. Time. Yeah, yeah. So like essentially, you spend half your life in in Brisbane and then half your life in Melbourne, something like that. Yeah, yeah, ish. Yeah, let's call it that. And how do you, <laughs> how do you how do you come to Canada? Well, uh, while I was in Melbourne, I um, I started uh, dating my now current wife, and uh, and at one point, uh, you know, we we got serious about the relationship and moved in, and then a while later, we started talking family and that sort of thing because you know we'd, we we had already, had already even though we weren't married or anything, we'd already you know obviously committed to being with each other long term. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we decided to start a family and we had our son in 2005. And uh, I was teaching full time at a high school at this point and I wasn't even really playing much live. I'd probably, you know, in the 10 years that I taught there, I started out probably still doing, you know, like 
club gigs and festival shows and different things like that. But uh, probably by the time I finished there, I was maybe doing, you know, one gig a month, if that, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it really wasn't much happening that way. And, and I was doing mostly teaching, you know, teaching privately, teaching full time at the school and, uh, and being the breadwinner for the family. And I was just bored with it, you know, by 2000 and seven 2008 you and know is, it, is your wife canadian is that yeah she's okay, canadian yeah sorry i just should have that's a vital <laughs> vital piece of information <laughs> like let's, she's let's asian actually but there'll be a test yeah. at the end right, yeah. <laughs> and so where's she from originally she uh she was born in montreal okay. and um lived in uh, belleville ontario for a while okay. and then lived in orleans in uh, in ottawa for sort of the later teens and, you know, early 20s or whatever. And so her family's still out here? Yep, they're out in uh, sunny Duclos, out in Quebec. Okay. And, um, yeah, and so she she went there as a backpacker in, like, 1990 or something and um, was just going to travel around and work for a year or something. And and she got there and she was like, I'm not leaving after a year. You a lot of Canadians do that. They yeah. go to Australia, they're like, why would anyone, yeah. why doesn't everybody live here and why right. would anyone ever leave here? <laughs> you know? That's the number one question I get, actually, <laughs> yeah. being in Canada. They're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, you why? left Australia for this? Yeah. And uh, yeah, to which point I have to, you know, I have to point out, you know, Wakefield and the surrounds. Come That's on, right. You know, like, How did you guys end up in Wakefield? Well, her, her family are in Duclos, which is about right. half an hour from here. So, so this is past um, Masham, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you keep yeah. going past Masham, then uh, yeah, you'll eventually. Our drywallers from there, there came yesterday. <laughs> he's doing the ceiling here and asking where he's from. It was the first time I heard, heard uh, right. about that place. Okay, so then you guys come. Did you come at that point? At that point, you had never been to Canada, or had no, you visited? No, no, I'd never been to Canada. I really knew nothing about it. And you it. just no. go, yeah, shit, let's do it. Why yeah. not? Yeah, I knew uh, like the tea party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I heard you guys like hockey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was about it. And some joke about a beaver. Um, That's right. But um, yeah, no, so like, yeah, yeah I'd been, like I say, I'd, I'd been teaching at this high school and, uh, for, you know, 10 years or so. And, uh, you know, say eight or so years in, I was just getting bored with it. You know, I was like, eh, well, I don't, I don't see this as me for another 20 years, you know. Um, so we started talking about, you know, what could be another thing that we could do, you know, like maybe we could go somewhere, you know, maybe it's not just get another job. Maybe it's, let's go somewhere. We didn't own property or have any, you know, real ties apart from, you know, our friends because, uh, my family wasn't even in Melbourne anyway. So it wasn't like we had, you know, really anything except inertia kind of tying us there at that point. Um, so, uh, yeah, we started talking about it. I was like, well, you know, we, we got this little guy, you know, he should get to know someone's family, you know. And um, so, yeah, in the course of, you know, debating where it would be, it came down on the side of Canada. So, yeah, I took a, took a year's unpaid leave from that job. And, um, yeah, after a year, we were like, no, not going back. Not going yeah, back. No. <laughs> Do you ever go back to visit or? Uh, we're going back this uh, this December, yeah. First time so. since '09. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no yeah. Holy yeah. I'm shit. booking a tour there at the moment, and uh, do your parents come out here visit or? Have yeah, they've, okay. yeah. They, my my sister came out once, and uh, my parents have been out. I think three times. See, so you see far, their yeah. little grand grandkid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So we're going to go back this time and spend Christmas back there, and oh, cool. Yeah, do myself an East Coast tour as well. So nice. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I saw that uh, on Facebook. I think you were asking about 
possible venues or something like yeah that? yeah right. i remember putting out to my aussie friends like hey you know like i'm out of touch where, where should i yeah, where should yeah. i be trying to book you know, yeah i don't want to tr- try and book a place with a 1500 capacity if i got three fans <laughs> 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 what um you moved to wakefield and were you like instantly hooked or did it take some did, did you at first go fuck what have i done no, I, well, I mean, we we moved to Duclos, so it, this is like way out in the middle right. of nowhere, and uh, so it was beautiful, and uh, you know, we just took some time to kind of relax. And Do you speak so, French? No, no, no. no so were so. you like, oh shit? Well, that's that's where Wakefield became, you know, like more my home base. You yeah. know, like yeah. I, I think if we had moved somewhere that was just that little bit further away, then I, I'm not sure that that would have been something like a home base for me. I might have gravitated to Ottawa more. Um, but yeah, we we literally had to drive right past it to get to the city anyway. So it was it just seemed natural that I'd just stop there and go to the bar rather than you know uh, go to the city and uh, yeah I uh, ended up getting my first gig was at the Wakefield Mill they got me in to just play some jazz or whatever just like a one time thing a residency no no, it was part of their roster because they they were they just changed their their booking or something and so yeah I just happened to be in the right place at the right time to get into that new booking roster with them so I ended up getting whatever you know a gig a month or something out of that and that kind of got me started, and then I was sitting at Molo's, Cafe Molo in Wakefield one day, and um, and the girl there was like, oh, you should go and go to the open stage at the cafe across the road. It's it's on tonight. Just go and see a guy named Louie, and uh, he'll get you all sorted out. And I, I don't even remember who that was. It's probably someone I know really well now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but thank you, mysterious stranger. Um, but... Um, yeah, so uh, so yeah, went there that night and saw Louis, and uh, you know got on the list, and uh, you know, uh, I guess at that point I was playing something like what you described because because uh, Louis nearly fell off his chair. Is that uh, right? Yeah, and, yeah. He would uh, sit right there by the stage next to the board, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, once in a while jump up with his flute. And he would. Yeah, I think yeah. I got him up actually oh, uh, right? in the first night. Yeah, and, and there wouldn't have been a warmer yeah. welcome than Louis Rompre. Oh, mean, absolutely. Yeah. What a yeah. guy. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Oh, man, miss him. Uh, so, so you hit the stage. You do three songs. Did my three songs, and uh, and I think Louis had me jam with pretty much everyone else who came up <laughs> after <laughs> that. You know, he's like, no, no, you stay yeah, up, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was a really nice welcome. And then by the end of the night, he was like, okay, I'm going to make you one of the hosts. Let's let's get together and talk about this. So I was like, okay, well, I like this place. It's great, you know. Um, so yeah, and at that point, I, I went on to the you know to become one of the the regular guest hosts, you know, on the roster mm-hmm. for that, and you know. And then from there, I mean, that's kind of the hub. Wednesday nights at the cafe, we're kind of coming full circle here. Is like the hub because everybody goes there at one time. Mm-hmm. If it's not every yeah. week, it's you know. So you get to meet a lot of people, and uh, I'm guessing that's how you met people too, because you teach as well. Yeah. You, you give lessons. And yeah. Is that is that. You, is that a big part of what you do now? Uh, lessons? Yeah. Um, it's it's a much smaller part than it used to be. Okay. Yeah, I, I probably don't teach more than, you know, say five, six hours a week most weeks, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and on summer, much less, you know, really not at all over summer. But Are I you also, just gigging, uh, gigging a lot? Yeah, gigging, and I write sheet music for people. So I, oh, I is have that right? a part of my website, I, you can send me MP3s or a YouTube link or And you'll write whatever. that out and Yeah, and, no yeah and if you want, you know, 
they'd transcribe for nose flute or something, then I can write that down for you. Wow, that's yeah. that's where that uh, early on training at uh, school. That yeah, that from. that came back, and and plus you know the jazz theory and stuff that I right in college. That. Yeah, and then and the need to train your ears to be a jazz player. So yeah. 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 Wasn't Louis just the best? <laughs> he was the best. Oh yeah. man! I wear my Louis T-shirt with pride. I do too. Yeah. I wear yeah. it all the time. Yeah. And uh, at first, I was like, "I'm never going to wear this. I'm going to keep it forever." But then I'm like, "No, fuck! I'm just going. I wear it all the yeah, time." That's right. Pay homage. Uh, uh, absolutely. That last time I saw him, I think his last public appearance was at one of our shows at Ibu. Right. He was sitting there, and um, and again, for people that don't know, Louis Rompre was a staple in the community, just the best guy and warmest and freakishly talented mm. and, and uh, musically and artistically and candle maker. He was, yep. he was if, if you were to take, if you were to give an artist all the traits about Wakefield and all the quirks and everything, they would draw up Louis. Like yeah. he was like yeah. the embodiment of yeah. Wakefield. Like yeah, he I lived think so, yeah. right in the village making candles and then he would play the flute in the woods. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like yeah. But could also give you a complete dissertation of the works of so-and-so or something. Like he, he was a real high thinker at times. Totally, like right. he could talk deep, man. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and... Um, yeah, that that was the last time I saw him. Was it'll be two years this this um, coming September at our show? But man, oh man, he was just he was he was that the community suffered a loss there yeah. when when he went uh, yeah. a big void yeah. for sure. Yeah. And um, so so now what what are you up to these days? What's up? What's next? What's happening? Well, uh, I'm really focused on my own project now. Aside from you know, I still do a lot of gigs for other people. I'm always in a bunch of bands, and uh, you know working on different projects for different things but uh yeah most of my you know what spare time i have is spent working on stone age man and uh and everything to do with that band you know just working the social media booking shows you know organizing recordings and you know and people can yeah. get all of their greg, greg paul stone uh, needs fulfilled at uh, gregstonemusic.com gregstonemusic.com and also stoneageman.ca stoneageman.ca and that's your outfit that's that, right uh, yeah. that's your yeah. main uh, main thing amazing do you want to uh, do you want to play us out do you want to play one or two or whatever you want sure yeah amazing what, do, what are you going to play for this is a song called Honey Took the Money the baby with the bathwater and said goodbye to that town I went looking for the funky people they're the ones who want to get down and I nursed sad wreck across the state line I'm gonna find a little honey gonna have a good time have a good time Well, I got my chicken and a KFC Well, a wholesale black a bit proud of me And I catch a little speed, the madness begins And then a harness starts to stick up and I jump right in 
A honey had some other plans I found out Cause honey took the money ratted me out A honey took the money A honey took the money A honey took the money Ratted me out Well, I ain't one to go down without a fight It took a six of them to get me in the squad car that night And if I wasn't on parole, I probably would laugh And if I wasn't on the come down, well, I probably would have tried them Catch another long stretch, there's no doubt Cause honey took the money and ratted me out Honey took the money Honey took the money Honey took the money Ratted me out Well I catch another long stretch There's no doubt Cause honey took the money Rat me out Oh 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 Yeah! Oh man! That was awesome! Honey take the money? Honey took the money. Honey took the money. Honey took the money. Greg Paul Stone. That's amazing. You want to do another? That was fucking sure, awesome. Sure, yeah, yeah. Thanks. This is a song. Uh, this is a song. Remember that song? It was uh, a Wilson Pickett song, Land of a Thousand Dances. Yeah, it was like the na 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 na. Anyway, the the other bit in that song is uh, he's like listing all the dances, he's like you know, do the Watusi and do the mashed potato and all that sort of thing. I wanted to write a song that had this list of things you can do, but um, I wasn't sure what the list had was going to be. Like I just you know I thought that's a cool idea. I like that that idea that there's the all these things right. And uh, then I'm looking online at some point one day and. Uh, I come across uh, a whole list of all the different terms for masturbation for men and women, like just like every every possible thing you could ever conceive of. But uh, and most of which I'd never heard of. You know, being from Australia, we had like three ways to say it, and that was it, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is a song. It's a, it's a, the situation is a guy. You know, he's looking for a booty call. He's trying to talk this girl into coming home, but uh, it's not happening. So yeah. He's, uh, he's trying to convince her, and, uh, and he's not doing a great job either. <laughs> anyway, this is called Sweet Love. Well, I can bash the candle, I can bleed the weed, I can buff the banana, just to let off some steam. You can churn that butter, you can flick the bean. You can pat that bunny Yeah, you know what I mean You know it ain't the same without you, baby Hold my hand 
and I can stand So come on, make sweet love to me Well, I can pound the flounder I can walk the dog I can paint the pickle I can flog the log You can butter that biscuit You can polish the pearl Together, baby, come on now, give it a whirl. No, it ain't the same without you, baby. Hold my hand. Mm -hmm. This loneliness is more than I can stand. So, come on, make sweet love to me. Darling, please If I get down on my knees Well, I can crank the shank I can cock the bat You can scratch that patch Or maybe you can stroke the cat Well, I can choke the chicken Well, I can loop the mule Oh, well, we can be together, baby Come on and don't you be cruel oh, oh, oh. You know it ain't the same Awesome! That's hilarious. That's a good song. You I like, like that? that. Yeah, yeah, because it's uh, it's kind of like it's a comedic song, but it's also really fucking good. Oh, well, thank you. You know, because it's got sometimes, you know, some comics will pick up a guitar. They can't really play. They can play a C and right. E and a G, and yeah. they'll you know they'll yeah. cover you know they'll, they'll parody "Last Kiss" by Pearl Jam, right. you know, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's rare to find a, a song that's funny, but also really, really good, like technically. And uh, <laughs> yeah, mission accomplished. Wow, thank you, Julian. My pleasure, Greg Paulstone. Thank you, by the way, for doing this. This has been our first installment of Wakefield Sessions, and I think we're off to a bang. I think we're. This was uh, you set the bar, bar really high. I had a blast. Uh, thanks a lot for for coming by and doing this. And uh, Wakefield, thanks for listening. World, thank you for listening. And uh, now you know a little bit of Wakefield, and you're gonna get to know a lot more. So thank you. Go to gregstonemusic.com or stoneageman.ca. Yep. Stoneageman.ca, more specifically. Not men like a plural. <laughs> it's one. 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 Uh, and uh, thank you. And uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, all Social that. media, yeah, we're on Twitter, Stone Age Man Band, uh, Instagram, stone.age.man, and uh, Facebook, Stone Age Man Band. Amazing. Anything else you'd like to add, good sir? Uh, 
if you're listening in Australia, I'm going to be out there doing a solo tour uh, all of the East Coast in uh, December. So uh, come out and say gregstonemusic.com for dates and, and absolutely venues. yeah all of the socials and uh, and the websites for dates yeah amazing thank you brother it's been a good time and uh, watch your head Waste of time. and there it is another one in the books I uh, would like to thank my guest Greg Paul Stone that was a good one that was a good time and thank you to you always you for listening and remember to email the show pod at jdcomedyhour.com Facebook, like that shit. Facebook.com slash JD Comedy Hour. Like on Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour. We're coming back at you tomorrow. What? Already? Yep, tomorrow, five days a week for the next four weeks. Wakefield Sessions. Wakefield, thank you, world. Thank you. You're the best. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, watch your head. A waste of time. Wait!